Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Gail Sylvia, and you are listening to sylviaglobal.com radio. I am so excited today. We have a wonderful lady um, with an incredible heart named Christine Hansen joining us today. Christine is the president and CEO of a company called 33 Productions, Inc. As a visionary and industry veteran, she is globally recognized for her mission to merge the power of music, art, and media to unite the world. Christine, thank you so much for being here today on Sylvia Global. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. We've been trying to get this scheduled for quite a while. I'm glad it worked out today. (laughs) Me too. It's wonderful to connect with you and your audience. Tell us about 33 Productions, what it is, and why it began. 33 Productions is a boutique entertainment marketing company uh, whereby we utilize the power of brands and bands to bring uh, bring together people through all walks of life and hopefully uplift human consciousness through humanitarian concert endeavors campaigns. How did you start it? What made you decide to, to start 33 Productions? Well, ironically, I was in radio for many years, and um, and I've always had a deep love for music. And the one thing that I recognized from the, the very beginning is the the power of music to unite people from from diff- all different cultures and to come together in, in celebration through the universal language of music. And so from that, that beginning, I uh, went from radio into uh, becoming one of the producers of the summer concert series in Central Park, which is called Central Park Summer Stage. And that really seeded, deeply seeded the the vision and mission to continue to use the power of music to hopefully... Uh, uplift and bring about some levels of social change. Can you walk us through your background? You know, let's start from you know the moment that of greatest influence that caused you to make this humanitarian effort important. Was it a childhood experience? Was it an individual? Was it some word that you heard spoken somewhere that connected and resonated within your own heart? Well, you know, I think it all came, it all started as a child. I was a competitive figure skater. And, um, and so in those situations, um, I was obviously, I learned from a very, very early age, I started at four years old, um, to really focus on a goal with unwavering commitment and work towards it. And so with that and, and, and my own, expression of love of, of moving my body um, to music, then that just kind of continued to, to grow within me. And once once the skating career was over, um, I just, I went pretty quickly into radio after a few, a few challenges. Um, a, a few close family members had passed away and I was pretty young and still very, um, just having a difficult time dealing with it, and the one thing that continually brought me solace was music, and so that was kind of the kind of the beginning or the impetus of of what started there. How young were you when you 
um, experience such as, you know, uh, the loss that you're referring to? Well, the first one um, was 17. It was my grandfather who passed away. And we, um, I was one of the caretakers for him at the time. And the the next one was my father when I was 22. So mm. it was pretty shortly thereafter. And um, and then I myself had a had a pretty close call with um, with a health issue when I was 23. And so a lot of things kind of happened in a in a pretty short period of time that really had me taking a closer look at uh, the importance of life and and how vital it is to to understand and listen to your heart and what it is that brings you up and brings you joy and how to follow that path to hopefully help others. Did you have a faith-based place of reference during those times that you had to really look deeper to? You know, I really didn't. Um, I wasn't raised with any um, organized kind of religion, but what I always did have was a deep connection to spirit and and an understanding that I believe that with the you know positive mindset and intention and focus that we as humans can achieve any goal regardless of any obstacle, and um, and so that really became kind of my the thing that became my driving force in my life for everything that I've ever uh, envisioned or achieved. Christine, when you were going through that journey that began and you know when you were 17 and through 23 or longer. Uh, how did your 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 behaviors change and your own mindset start to evolve? What were some of the things that you know you remember noticeably? Those were turning points. Um, I I became very aware that, of how important it is to live your life and what you dream of now, because we never know how long our journey is on this planet, and so as such. Um, I never wanted to be one of those people that always talked about what I hoped to do when it was possible or when I may have had the resources. I I decided to try to do whatever I could whenever I wanted to do it. And that that really is the biggest, and still to this very day, um, one of the most important lessons that I got from from the loss and challenges was to live now and to to live whatever those dreams may be. Mm. How do you... um stay grounded in that through the years as life goes on, do you just find yourself recalling that period of your life and it kind of helps you, you know, just plant your feet, you know, more firmly? Or do you find that um, it has just stayed with you, that perspective? Well, that perspective has always been with me. Um, and I think as a as a young competitive athlete, um, that's something that, is really, I mean, really ingrained in you. If, you know, if you're watching the Olympics now or, or um, you know, any kind of competitive sport, you can see there's a certain mindset that an athlete has that is really, um, you know, vision, working towards any vision or goal and, and setting the mind. It's really a, it's a mind, the mindset is really what helps us to win and achieve more than you can practice, 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 but if your mind is not in the, in the proper setting, then it's um, it's kind of hard to to realize those achievements. And of course, as, as years have gone by, I have you know found other other things to help me ground and stay balanced and connect, keep myself connected to faith and in something that is greater than than I. Obviously, yes, yes. Christine, so do you find that 
who you are and your perspective on life is what attracts you to incredible opportunities such as Nelson Mandela. You know, <laughs> it, it, you know, you went from being a four-year-old competitive ice skater during this period of, and then to a, a period of young adulthood of trauma, and then you know, eventually you're landing right there, bringing your heart's passions and your own dreams into a reality that affects, that involves globally recognized leaders. Tell us about that. Well, that was a long-sought dream, and um, it was a lot of a lot of hard work. But um, I was born on Martin Luther King's birthday, <laughs> and so I feel like I always had a, <laughs> I too always had a dream, and um, and I <laughs> I really took it took it very seriously. I've always, still to this very day, I, I I feel very honored that I'm born on the same day as such a great man, and I always, from a young age, really really looked at and, and respected the work of, of these icons that have inspired huge change in our lives and and really, um, I don't know, set on a trajectory to, to do that. And, and as it related to the Mandela situation, it was um, it was really interesting. I, I had worked for, for off and on for years with the Black Eyed Peas before they had, um, even before they had actually hit it big. And we had known each other, and at one point we were doing a show that I had done for Heineken down in St. Martin, and um, and at the end of the show, they, they came up and said, we always have so much fun when we when we work or do a project with you. Where, where are we going next? And uh, and I looked at them, and I said, you know, I've always wanted to go to Africa. Have you ever been there? And uh, and they said no, and, and I said, all right, well, I'm going to see if I can if I can work on that and, um, and make something happen. And at that particular point in time, I literally knew not a soul in Africa, and but that never stopped me. So I um, I just kind of started putting feelers out there to different network of folks and so forth, and kind of a funny story, actually. One day I got a call from a friend, and I was living in New York at the time, and I received a phone call from a friend who said, um, hey, I know you do some work with the Black Eyed Peas. I just met somebody who is in town from South Africa, and he's interested in finding out if um, if there's a possibility to bring them there. And and I screamed at the top of my lungs because I get excited on those types of things. I'm a very excitable person, and I and I said, oh, yes, of course, you know. And, and um, next thing you know, I end up having a conference call with a gentleman who I personally had never even met uh, across, you know, whatever, 13,000 miles and several hours of a time change. And, and it began, it, it planted a seed. And so my original journey to Africa was in 2004, and I planned um, a, a concert tour with the Black Eyed Peas to celebrate 10 years of freedom from apartheid. And that... Um, that project was really incredible and, and extraordinary on a lot of levels because it was real, very interesting to see um, a combination of things, the the great wealth that exists and the great poverty and how closely those two can exist together. And it was a very, it was a life-altering trip and on a lot of levels. And so it was a very, very successful tour. Everything was sold out everywhere we went and, at one point, we had gone uh, gone on a tour to the top of Table Mountain in Cape Town, and Will I Am and I were speaking on 
standing is we're overlooking this you know glittering beauty of Cape Town on one side, and then on the other side is a township called Kailicha, which is a, a frightening sight to see and to understand that anyone would live in that level that level of poverty, and it's heart wrenching. And so he he said to me, Will point blank said, you know how. He, he would love to come back and um, could we come back and he wanted to do a free show for the people. Why was there no black black people in his audience? And I said they couldn't afford the tickets to, to get in. And so we discussed the idea of doing a free show and I mentioned to him that unless he was going to fund it, that we would have to find some corporate sponsors to do it and he was open to it. And, and that set the trajectory for the next step in the puzzle. Um, so that it, it, everything kind of, you know, one thing led to the next. The first tour was one thing, and then, and then the vision was born, standing on top of a mountain and, and wanting to bring about change. And then, it took about a year and a half to raise the money and and pull in the partners to to make the next project happen, which was in 2006, which was a free show for 40,000 people living in the ghettos of South Africa. And during that process, it was the first time in the history of, of the country that something of that magnitude had happened, and uh, I was honored and blessed a little prior to that to have met one of Mr. Mandela's grandsons. So I worked to um, to set up a meeting with, with him and, and the P's and so forth, and, and we did that. And, uh, and at that time, I committed to Mr. Mandela and said, you know, if there's ever anything I can do to support you or your, your vision, it would be my greatest honor in life. And um, and so that's kind of how the first part of that happened. And then I guess it was only about, I don't know, six months or so later, and I received an invitation to attend um, Mr. Mandela's annual lecture series, which he hosts every year on his birthday. And as you can imagine, it was a tremendous honor to to be invited to such a thing. I, I about fell over when I received the invitation, to be real honest. And... Uh, and so then, I, then it came to me as, oh, my God, what do you give the man who gave the gift of freedom as a gift? And I really thought about it, and um, and I wrote a concept for him to to celebrate his life, his legacy, and and in a way that would be befitting to all that he has done. And next thing I know, I'm in a conversation with the foundation and the family, and. They need some help to put together. A, they wanted to put together a, a large-scale concert on World AIDS Day, and they needed support to do it. And and there I was. So it was really, um, you know, interesting because I was as I wrote the vision to present. Unbeknownst to me, they were actually working on a similar vision, but didn't have all the pieces in place. And so here I come, you know, just bright-eyed and ready for action, and present my idea and to stay there in this situation going wow we actually want to do something like this in six months can you help so it was uh it was kind of a perfect storm of opportunity if you will talk about the a couple of things um the you know the four six 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 four um campaign and that's a very important project that you and your company continue to support and bring visibility to yes um four double six six four for those who don't know, uh, was Mr. Mandela's prison number when he was jailed for 27 years. So that's where that number uh, comes from. And it is now uh, a campaign to support HIV and AIDS initiatives and to bring awareness and funds to 
to South Africa to support um, support and help those in need. And so it's uh, it's been a very very important and very exciting collaboration, and to say the least, an honor uh, an honor beyond words. How do you see the work that you do making a difference on the ground? Well, it kind of depends on the project. Um, it, it, it's sometimes it's. It's. Um, I did a project with um, Charlize Theron and her Africa Outreach Project, and and that she's doing um, mobile units to to go out and um, so people can have healthcare in rural villages. Um, on the Mandela side of things, there's AIDS education and testing and awareness, uh, which obviously is vitally important. One of the biggest biggest challenges with AIDS in Africa is um, there's so many stigmatisms around it and people don't necessarily don't they won't get tested or they don't they're not aware or there's a lot of it's horrific to say but you know there's rape that happens because there's folklore that that you know some people believe that if you if you rape a virgin that you'll be cured of AIDS I, I mean there's it's there's some horrific horrific things that that people don't necessarily understand and so um, to have the ability to have a platform that educates and raises awareness as well as provides resources and testing and 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 medicines to folks is a, is a pretty extraordinary uh, opportunity. You know, the, as I listen to you, one of the answers to that question I just um, asked is, you know, the fact that you you see it first in your mind's eye and then it comes together in from directions that you don't anticipate but because you started moving in the direction of our your vision, your dream, mm-hmm. it yeah. evolved into a reality. So one of the examples that you gave of seeing it work on the ground not only was the connection between you and getting that you know making that trip happen to Africa, but also you and Will I am standing on the hilltop and looking out into the broader horizon and then asking the question and saying, you know what, we may have an answer. And then the next thing, you know, it may not have happened the next day but um, or the next month, but you stayed committed to the vision and the dream and the desire to bring this good forward, and you're in front of an audience of 40,000 people that otherwise would not have had the opportunity, you know, and you're you're touching and changing their lives right there on the ground in in this really historical um, moment that continues to have lasting impact at various levels. It's um, congratulations and thank you so much for not abandoning the dream, Christine. Thank you so much, you know, oh, for staying pleasure. true to the course because that makes a difference in inspiring and encouraging others beyond the walls of our own you know, how we live our lives and our own, you know, the limitations that we may sometimes place on the power of our dreams and the ability to turn them into reality. You know, you made reference to, uh, you know, that trip to, the trip to South Africa being a life-altering trip on many levels. Can you share with us some of those levels and experiences that you're referring to? Um, Yeah, I... For me, coming, you know, I was born and raised in California and have, I, I don't come from, uh, I come from a very working class uh, family and 
but yet I've always been provided for and taken care of. And to go into um, into a country and to meet folks who are who literally have next to nothing. We're talking about people who are probably you know maybe living in in a tin shack that has no running water or electricity, and there's probably there might be ten people living in that in that ten by ten shack. I mean it's unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life to have not only to to see how people elsewhere live but be but what was so important to me was not how they lived but who they were they showed up with such hope and such graciousness graciousness and appreciation and kindness and positivity and they did not look at their situation, I'm sure that, you know, they would like to have their situation be different, but that was not what defined them. And I, it really, um, I, it planted something so deep within me that I really could never shake it. And, and I mean, seriously, the, the joy and the graciousness is really the word that I, I will continue to come back to that of people that have next to nothing or challenges that are so, I don't know, in, in many, you know, many may think insurmountable, but yet so incredible. It just really made me want to do every, continue to do whatever I could uh, as being a woman with, you know, <laughs> very modest means to to try to help and bring some level of assistance or relief or joy um to, to folks who, who certainly deserve it. What do you, um, take us through your experience, you know, radio to producing shows and, um, you know, entertainment and with major brands. Um, what was that journey? Well, um, when I started in radio, I did um, a little bit of middays and then launched pretty much into sales and promotion. And I really give so much thanks to my time in radio because uh, when I was when I was doing sales and promotion, I learned how to um, how to access corporate brands and how to monetize uh, basically air for a corporate brand. So, you know, um, it was a really valuable lesson to learn what a brand is interested in as it relates to sponsorship, marketing, et cetera, and how those, how the access to those types of brands and those types of people can bring, uh, can bring amazing things to life. So um, when I first moved to New York for the Central Park gig, it was my, my role there was the director of sponsorship and marketing. And um, I literally got there. I didn't know anybody. I moved to New York for $500 in my pocket and nowhere to live. I, <laughs> it was a completely crazy situation, but I had a job and I knew that, I, you know, if I was depending on myself, I could figure it out. And, um, and I did. And so I worked real hard. And, and in the first I want to say, I don't know, six weeks about, um, because I didn't have a, any friends or <laughs> much of a budget, I just kept working. And um, and as such, I brought in, um, I tried to reposition their series a little bit. They had had some, some wonderful corporate sponsors, but they were not what I would have considered art presenter type sponsors. Um, they were a little bit more middle of the road, nonetheless great, but 
there, this is Central Park. It's a prestigious property. And so one of the first things I did was bring in, uh, at that time, Banana Republic as a presenting sponsor. And the opportunity that was so tremendous about that was, um, you know, so many people look at sponsorship and think, oh, you know, here we go, another commercial. But the truth is, uh, without sponsorship, a lot of things that um, that we take for granted or, or opportunities would not be possible. You know, they they help to fund projects in addition to, you know, what the sponsorship is is one thing, but what they spend on activation and promotion around that sponsorship is something completely different and oftentimes so much greater than what what a project could do on their own that it lends itself to tremendous exposure for not only the brand but the initiative in its own right. This is um, $500 landing in New York. Again, you're, 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 you're <laughs> Nelson Mandela, forty thousand people. You know how how many years passed in between the you know those two circumstances? Um, that was uh, well, Mandela was actually sixty thousand. Please was forty. Okay, correct. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. So the from five hundred dollars landing in New York to the first tour of the the Black Eyed Peas, well, the forty thousand that was um that was that was eight years. Uh, it was six years to my first tour to South Africa, eight years to the forty thousand dollars or the forty thousand people benefit, and then uh, nine years to Mandela. Did you go to college in between or somewhere in there? I did not. I, I went to about a year and a half of uh, junior college. And yeah. to be real honest, when I was um, when I was growing up and I was a skater, I went to I didn't go to regular school. I had um, I went to correspondence school and had tutors that came to the rink because I literally was um, skating six days a week and somewhere between six to eight hours a day of on and off ice practice. And I trained with Debbie Thomas and Brian Poitano and and all of the amazing Olympians that I'm so happy to have had the opportunity to know during those days. And I think I've always learned a little bit differently. I'm a do- I learn by doing, and which of course means there's certainly some some mistakes in the process. <laughs> but um, that's how I learn. I just um, I see what I want and I create a plan and then I work towards that plan and and just keep checking things off in the process. (laughs) You know, the reason I ask, because you described that eight-year period, that's kind of the equivalent of um, undergraduate studies and then graduate degrees at getting a Ph.D. in a program. You know, it's the life experience. And and having homeschooled, you know, our children and then seeing them go on to accomplish, as they are now, great things that we don't always have to expect or place on ourselves the you know the the standards of society that we still have value and capability of making things happen even if we need to carve out our own way you know there's still a degree you you've got a degree in life experience you know and yeah well i i'm grateful for it, the way that i did it honestly i um i think and i you know i am certainly a proponent for for education i think yes however yes. However, yeah. anybody learns is their path, and yeah. and that's that's what I firmly believe. But one of the things that I'm happy about is that um, 
I never learned in a box. Like, I didn't learn the rules of what you were supposed to do and not supposed to do. So I'm sure that along the way I have done some things <laughs> that you're not supposed to do, you know, thinking. I, I don't ever think in terms of levels. Like, I, I think we are all the same. We are all yeah. one. And yeah. there is no reason that it, that I shouldn't be able to get into contact with Nelson Mandela. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. you know, and it's just a matter, again, of, of seeing the vision and, and, and working towards it. And, and literally, for me, it's, it's one of the most important things, and, you know, you hear this from pretty much anybody, is once the vision starts to crystallize, write it down and, and start to, to really crystallize the plan. And you can, I cannot make a dream a reality without a, a formidable plan that, and strategy that is what I create to realize it. Where are you now? What what's what's in, in right here in your what's happening in your world now and what's on the horizon? Well, right now I'm working on um I'm working on a variety of things. The two things that I can speak about publicly are um I'm I'm very excited to to work with um two incredible Los Angeles based uh, charitable initiatives. One is called the Los Angeles After School All Stars Program which uh, was founded by Governor Schwarzenegger, and it delivers after-school programming for kids who otherwise might not be able to have access to it. So everything from uh, fitness and nutrition to uh, to the arts and, and entertainment to mentorship to help them with testing, et cetera. Um, and they serve uh, 5,000 children every day after school, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, so I'm, I'm honored to work work with them and, and support them and as as we all know the the amount of funding that has been cut for, for kids and education is is tremendous and so I, I think, you know, the kids are obviously our future and so to be able to help those that may not have access to have a great um support is important. And the other organization is called a place called home, which is an at risk center for um, for kids, or it's a center for kids that are at risk living in South Central, and so it helps them to you know stay uh, off the streets and and does you know has schooling and tutoring and again also um, arts education at music studio and and they can if someone's dropped out of school they help them get a GED if they didn't have food they there's they can get a meal there and so I, I'm very honored to. Um, to have the opportunity to work with a couple of extraordinary organizations in my own backyard. Christine, this is phenomenal um, work, and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. What can the Sylvia Global audience do to support um, you and these programs that are so important to you? Well, you know, I would say what what anyone can do, and, and not, it isn't even just in support of me, it's in support of one another, is is to understand that that ultimately we are all one, and and by supporting one another's visions and dreams, we are supporting ourselves. And that there is nothing that isn't possible if if you set your mind to it. And to just understand that you know, while sometimes we don't have the resources to be able to to do what it is we dream of right in that moment, it doesn't mean that you might not find other folks that are like-minded and having a similar dream that you can work together and collaborate on and and to bring together 
people that all have a shared vision towards a common goal, tremendous, tremendous things can, can occur. Christine, those are perfect words to close with. Thank you again this afternoon for being here with us on Sylvia Global. Uh, and thank you so very much for just, you know, holding tight and then releasing the power of your dreams into the world and blessing so many of us. Um, appreciate you being here. And listeners, again, um, follow Christine Hansen. How can they get in touch with your services or support your organizations? Where would you like them to go? It'll be on our website, sylviaglobal.com. We'll and they can also check my website, too, yes. which is 30, the number 33productions.com. Okay. Okay. And that's always a great place to look. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I feel you'll see a press release coming soon, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, great. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you, Sylvia. You have a beautiful day. You too. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.